Welcome to Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. This is episode 30, and I'm here with Ross Hodges and John Payne. So today, what we want to talk about is a very important topic, not just in terms of the life of the church, but also individually in terms of how we think about Scripture. So I want to start off with reading Psalm 19, because it gets to the heart of our discussion on the concept of revelation, both revelation in terms of what we get in the Scripture and in terms of what is testified in what we call general revelation. So here's Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of the God, and their expanses declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. Their sound has gone out throughout all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sights, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So let's open up a discussion on what this psalm is ultimately speaking about. So I'll turn to Ross. In terms of going through this psalm, what are the broad biblical and historical categories and how we understand what's being discussed here? Yeah, well, you see in the psalm there's a move from the first part of the psalm to the, uh, the second part of the psalm uh, between uh, what we call, as you mentioned a moment ago, general revelation, or we could also call that natural revelation, and special revelation. And these are the categories that uh, the church has used throughout history to speak of those things, um, like the psalmist begins with, with the heavens declaring the glory of God, and the sun, and proclaiming the work of his hands. and uh, it's something that all people everywhere can see mm-hmm. and know and, and in fact do know and uh, as we know from Romans chapter 1 um, this sort of revelation along with the fact that uh, mankind is created in the image of God um, leaves uh, leaves man without excuse in relation to the knowledge of God mm-hmm. all men know that there is a God through this sort of revelation this general or natural revelation and, um, and it leaves us uh, accountable to that knowledge um, and uh, therefore leaves mankind condemned before God because uh, what uh, what God is, what he has done in, in, in a certain sense, is plain to us. However, that knowledge is enough to condemn us, but not enough to save us, mm-hmm. as our Westminster Confession uh, uh, chapter on Revelation points out, um, chapter on Scripture, 
we need special revelation to come in and, and tell us the specifics about God and the specifics about redemption and the specifics uh, about how all of these things interact and and that is what we call special revelation and it's the word of God and we saw the psalmist in the second part of the psalm get into those uh, aspects with you know the testimonies of the Lord and the law of the Lord and those sorts of things. Amen. This morning in our uh, men's Bible study we uh, examined and unpacked uh, Romans chapter 1 and beginning in verse 18 and Ross was uh, alluding to uh, those scriptures a moment ago and I think it'd be good perhaps if we would uh, just read this for our listeners to have this in mind uh, Paul writes in Romans 1:18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 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 And so here we have a... Uh, course it's the inspired Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit who is writing but he's giving a description of the wrath of God uh, against the wickedness uh, of mankind suppressing the truth living in an ungodly and unrighteous way and making it clear that mankind is without excuse not primarily based on rejecting special revelation mm -hmm. here uh, which, as Ross mentioned, is the the gospel uh, uh, clearly communicated, uh, but actually they're without excuse because they rejected general revelation, mm -hmm. and and so we need to recognize this that from the fall of mankind and all who have come after, that general revelation clearly and plainly uh, reveals God, and yet that is only enough to leave man without excuse it is not enough to mm -hmm. save them mm -hmm. that's an important thing mm -hmm. to uh, to make clear isn't it yes yeah. it is and I think the primary reason we want to think through this idea is that again a lot of the arguments today from the new atheism movement is that the evidence of a presupposed God does not exist in nature and that's their fundamental point mm -hmm. here is that right. the evidence is not clear and so the, some of the arguments would be if God was true, then he would have flashing lights saying, you know, Yahweh is God all over the world. You mean, you mean, you mean like the sunset I saw yeah, last so, night? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I talked this morning to uh, encourage the men when we were talking about this in our, in our men's Bible study on Romans, that uh, to look at the beauty and complexity and glory of nature, mm -hmm. And to think that it all just happened from an explosion is like walking into a room and seeing a 2,500-piece 
jigsaw puzzle put together on a table mm -hmm. and to think that somehow there was a big storm and the wind blew it all together and it came and that is that is nothing that jigsaw puzzle is nothing compared to the complexity of human anatomy or animal right. life mm -hmm. or the universe that right. we live in yeah, I, I, this brings up an important point because there are very, very intelligent people out there who are involved in the sciences and involved in these things, and um, yet they are vehemently opposed to the idea of God. And I wanted to ask Gabe, you know, mm -hmm. how do we, how do we as Christians sort of reconcile that? And and how do our listeners, you know, perhaps they know some very intelligent people who um, are scientists or you know engineers and that sort of thing, and yet seem blind to the fact that there's a God. You know, seem to be pushing that away. How do, how do we how do we how do we stand that biblically? Well, there's a couple of really practical ways to think through it. So the first biblical category is to say what you just stated, that there is a blindness that is over the minds of lots of people. When we say it's not an issue of intelligence, because again, no one comes to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel by just mere intellectual rationale. Yeah, Romans one twenty two, yeah. claiming to be wise, they, they became, became fools. fools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this is a classic situation in which the wisdom of God is well, put it another way, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Mm. And what that means here is that even the greatest minds who look and stare at the most profound thing concerning the design of nature can basically miss study the trees and miss the forest so it's not the fault of the revelation exactly it's not the revelation it's the issues with the man himself the issue is with what has satan himself done to blind the eyes of unbelievers and what has the fall done to the mind of man both of those are in a sense conspiring to produce this kind of current situation we have where it appears the most intelligent people we can find uh in western society are vehemently opposed to special creation. Yes, yes, and one thing that uh, Kistemacher, or is it uh, Hendrickson, maybe maybe Hendrickson in his Romans commentary, I can never keep straight which one uh, wrote which volume, but he, he writes uh, that God in this natural sense has revealed himself to us uh, through nature, which mm -hmm. we've been discussing, uh, through history, uh, by the works of God throughout history, mm -hmm. uh, many of which we read in Scripture, of course, and then thirdly, uh, in our conscience, yes. that that part of this, as well as that, we are all made in the image of God, the mm -hmm. Mago Dei, and God's image is stamped upon us, and so yes. we have uh, what Calvin called the sensus divinitatis, the sense of the divine. We mm -hmm. We, we know, every person knows deep down inside that God exists and uh -huh. that he or she is accountable to him. And so we are left without excuse. So general revelation is God revealing his, his, his power, his wisdom, his creativity, even his love mm -hmm. through creation. Mm -hmm. But that's not enough to save us. Uh, I had a, a friend one time tell me that... Um, uh, if you just look at a beautiful waterfall, you can be converted. Uh, no, you cannot be converted by looking mm -hmm. at a beautiful waterfall. You can appreciate it and you can know that there's a God that you must revere and bow down to, but you cannot save you. Mm -hmm. We are only saved through the knowledge of the gospel. That's exactly why in Romans 10, Paul makes it clear that preachers need to be sent out to preach this gospel because yes. without preachers, who will hear, who will believe Amen. the gospel? That's right. right. Which is why the church needs to be word-centered. Mm -hmm. you know, if the church isn't giving the gospel, isn't presenting the word of God, 
who is. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, so on that note, then, we move from general revelation to what theologians have traditionally called special okay. revelation. Mm -hmm. uh, Ross, tell us about special revelation. What, what, what is constituted in special revelation? Well, yeah, I mean, in, in short, it's the Word of God, every, everything in Scripture, um, because we have God uh, condescending, as, as, uh, we, as we talk about in theology, condescending to actually speak to us, to, to give us knowledge that we do not have by virtue of just being human. And, um, and God has, over history and uh, in various times, at various ways, as Scripture Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 1, um, and uh, also Peter tells us, you know, holy men carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second uh, Peter, Second Peter one. Um, it's that God through His Holy Spirit uh, has presented His Word um, in a special way, uh, therefore special revelation um, to mankind, and it, it has been recorded for us in the pages of Scripture, um, and it is the very Word of God, and we. Um, there's, there's plenty of things we could talk about there as far as textual issues and transmission, textual transmission. We'll, we'll save that for another time. But uh, suffice it to say that what we have in the Bible is very special because it is not something that is created by man. It is not something, the invention of man. It's not self-discovery. It's not personal illumination. It is God speaking, revealing his will to Humanity. So we do not we do not know God apart from Him revealing Himself to us. Exactly. In in nature and in His Word, mm -hmm. uh, the Westminster uh, uh, members of the Westminster um, Assembly, in Chapter One of the Confession of Faith, they state it like this: Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God, as to leave men unexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing, which makes the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. Mm -hmm. So what the it's a little bit wordy, but to, to unpack it a little bit, we have... God's general revelation being clearly communicated here. Uh, it leaves men unexcusable. We have God's special revelation, which is uh, inscripturated in the pages of Scripture, mm -hmm. uh, that what we call the canon. And in this last sentence here, which maybe is a good segue for our next part of our discussion, is that those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people are now ceased. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, theological terms, we call this cessationism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk for a few minutes about this idea that God continues to speak in a special way sure. outside sure. of Scripture and personally to the individual Christian. This is right. a problem in our day. We have lots of uh, leaders, uh, Beth Moore, 
we have uh, Perry Noble. We could name some of even the more radical versions of people that say things like, God told me yesterday to tell you the following. Sometimes it gets crass. Uh, pastors telling congregations that God told them they need to give extra this, this uh -huh. week so that they can have more money for their health, wealth, and prosperity. Yes. Um, we have a more evangelical versions of it now, which I would call sort of you know, soft Pentecostalism within the, um, uh, the evangelical world where, where big leaders and authors are saying things like, God told me mm -hmm. that I needed to write this book, which now you need to buy, and these kinds right. of things. So let's talk about this from the leadership to the, the layperson. How does this work out? Gabe, what are your thoughts? So the first thing I would think to discuss this topic is to go back to the nature of Scripture. Yes. And so one of the things that I have heard numerous times is that whenever continuing revelation comes up, the first basic kind of a qualifier is that we're not trying to actually, you know, we're not trying to remove scripture or under, you know, famous undergird scripture. We're basically just saying it's alongside. It must be confirmed in scripture. But my major contention is that to say that implies at least two things. First, it basically says that the fall hasn't really disturbed the mind of man as exhaustive as we claim it to be. Right. So when we look at scripture, scripture is not just God's revelation to us. It's also God, in a sense, freezing acts of redemption for us, which basically means that we do not have this continuous flow of revelation uninterrupted. Sin has occurred, the fall has happened, and so there is a interruption. If we are to ever know the full working of God throughout history, the scripture tells us in effect that revelation is frozen so that we can memorialize it effectively, that we can learn it. So the very fact we have a scripture tells us that we do not have continuous overflowing revelation. Yes, and by when you say it's frozen, you're not giving the sense that scripture is dead or cold uh, or it, it's very much alive, mm -hmm. isn't it? It's but, alive. But yeah. it is speaking to us yeah. through the mediation of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The word of God is is speaking to us. It's, it's not just spoken through mm -hmm. the apostles and the prophets. It's speaking to us now, mm -hmm. but it's the word. It's not our word. It's yeah. not an outside word. Yeah, it's not something that is just, again, what Ross says, not coming from within ourselves and we're just kind of echoing what the Bible is saying here. What is being claimed about the nature of Scripture is that when God, uh, say, let's take the Old Testament, when God recorded the acts of, say, the children of Israel and recording the kings and the prophets, in one sense, he was explaining to us his will, and in another sense, what he's saying is that these are definitive records of my working in history. Yes. And so when we talk about history unfolding as God intends it, the scripture is a collection and recording of those things. God speaks to us through those recordings, but what we're saying is that God is not doing the same sort of rescuing people out of Egypt and establishing prophets and kings and apostles as he was during the times that scripture was being written. Yes, you know, the, the, the Christian who starts a 501c3 and has his own ministry, mm -hmm. uh, those things aren't on the same level yeah. as God's redemptive historical acts yeah. throughout history. Right. right. Uh, and, and this is really challenging, isn't it? The sufficiency of Scripture. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. One, one way to uh, what Gabe has been talking about is summarized 
in theology. I think it was Gerhardus Voss um, who who said something to the effect of that revelation serves redemption. Mm -hmm. So that the story of redemption, as it unfolds, God's revelation uh, is, is, as Gabe was saying, is interpreting that and is applying that. And, that's, and since redemption isn't continuing, revelation doesn't need to continue. And, mm -hmm. and it, what we have is sufficient. Amen. Amen. That's great. And uh, a helpful book on this, as uh, we'll close out this uh, podcast, is called From the Mouth of God, Trusting, Reading, and Applying the Bible by Sinclair Ferguson. Again, that's From the Mouth of God by Sinclair Ferguson. I really recommend that you pick this book up if you want to learn more about uh, just how to understand and interpret Scripture. But in one section on page 45, uh, Dr. Ferguson writes that there's a finality about the scriptures. Uh, he says, quote, since they record God's last word for the last days, we should not now expect that God will speak to us directly. Now that he has spoken in Christ and through the apostles, we discover his will by applying scripture to all the varied circumstances in which we live. We do not expect, for example, that God will whisper to us the name of the person we are to marry. Uh, the calling we are to pursue, the church to which we are to belong, or the place we should live. We discover God's will in these areas by the careful and ongoing application of the principles, commands, and illustrations we find in Scripture to the life situations in which we find ourselves. This is an obvious implication of having the completed canon of Scripture. It might seem hardly worth mentioning were it not for the fact that it has become commonplace among contemporary Christians to believe God speaks to us apart from and in addition to his word. The more balanced representatives of this view emphasize that this does not mean in contradiction of God's word, but nevertheless, in effect, this establishes the possibility and practice of a second canon, separate from and additional to scripture. And frequently, indeed almost inevitably, this second stream of revelation becomes the practical rule that directs the Christian life. Mm. It is seen as a more immediate and individualized revelation. These characteristics mean it is liable to be given precedence over the reading of, meditation on, reflection about, and application of the written scriptures. Amen. Doesn't it make sense that if there is some kind of ongoing, fresh revelation that's happening today, that why in the world would we need the Bible? If it's fresh, if it's new, if it's coming to us unmediated and directly from God, why would we need the canon of Scripture? Right. We wouldn't. What we need is that canon of Scripture continually applied to our hearts and lives by the Holy Spirit working through His means of grace. Yes, and so there will be people that will say, God told me this, or God told me that, and they really don't mean that God is actually verbally speaking to them. What they really mean is that God prompted them or encouraged them by His Spirit to act out on a certain action or to say something to a friend. Yeah. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about those who say that they heard from God and really believe that God is actually speaking to them mm -hmm. right now. Yes. But we would say that is actually an affront to scripture and it brings into question what is authoritative. Amen. Yes. Right, Roth? I mean, yeah, if, if, you, if God is speaking to you still, then it's still the same authority as the scripture. And then, like you, like Ferguson says, you have two canons or two rules. And chances are, with human nature being what it is, that we then supplant the, the Bible with that fresh revelation and we spend much more time and energy 
meditating, thinking about, and and acting upon what we believe God is telling us now, because it is newer, it is fresher, but it still is authoritative, and um, and so it it undermines the authority of the Word of God. It also undermines, in a very real sense, the diligent study of the Scriptures. Yes, because indeed. why would you spend the uh, difficult kind of historical studies, geographical studies, learning the Old Testament? When God can just give you a word as fresh as Rhema word, that they would say fresh to your heart. It basically means that the only part of the Bible that you would study would be the part that you find most relevant. Yes, yes. So, uh, to our listeners, do you want to hear God speak to you? If so, uh, open your Bible and read it out loud. <laughs> uh, we want to encourage uh, you, our listeners, uh, to take seriously the study. Uh, of God's Word, meditation upon God's Word, uh, to think deeply about God's Word, to listen to the preaching of the Word with attention, uh, because God has revealed Himself to us in, in the Word of God and finally in His Son, Jesus Christ, which is what all of the Word points to. And so if we can take anything away from this, let us glory in the God of creation. Mm -hmm. And when we see beautiful things in nature, as we see daily here in the Low Country, uh, let us not just see the beauty of the creation, but let us see the beauty of the Creator. Amen. And from there, let us give thanks that this Creator did not leave us uh, to die in our sin and misery, but sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one through whom He created the world and sustains the world, that He sent Him uh, to live and to die and to rise again for our salvation. What a Savior we have. Amen. Well, we thank you for listening in on this episode of Between the Times. We'll talk to you next time.